Well, good morning, church. It's me again. Good morning, y'all. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Today is a beautiful day. Um, would you uh, join me? I want to invite you to rejoice and reflect on God's vict- victory from uh, a reading of Psalm 103. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? In the words of Psalm 103, verse 1. Let's just take a deep breath in first. Just allow God and his presence to collect our scattered senses. To be able to rejoice and reflect from our inner being. Psalmist says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all of my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for today uh, as we celebrate the risen Son of God. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you come with your Holy Spirit. You come with your grace and with your mercy. I just feel like that's the, the banner over today is the grace of God. We don't come as perfect, strong people. We come as humble people. We come in need of you. So I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you're the only one that can take words on a page and make them alive to our hearts. So we declare that that's what you're, we just pray that that's gonna be the the outcome today. We love you. Would you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen. 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 You may be seated. So good to see you guys. So this past week, I had a birthday. Um, I'm one year older. That's great. Um, and uh, and I, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I, have a, I have a lovely family. I have two wonderful toddlers. Just so wonderful. Oh, uh, no, they are so great. Um, and so I want to show you this picture here. You know, you have, like, the perfect picture, Instagram photo of your family, and then you have, like, real life. This is real life. And if you can't tell, Judah is smothering me and climbing on top of my head. And so... Um, Life is full, and, um, but so I'm grateful for this passage that says that my youth will be renewed like the eagles, because I need all the help that I can get. Um, you know, with, with birthdays, let me just see if I did this right. My beard wants to preach. <laughs> um, yeah, come, with birthdays, so I, with this birthday, I was like reflecting on life and uh, just kind of, we kind of end up doing that whether we recognize it or not when we, when we go to like these landmarks in the year, like a birthday. And so I was reflecting and I was zooming out and I realized like I actually have a lot to be grateful for and I'm really grateful for a lot of the things in this modern world, in this modern life that I live in. Um, I'm grateful that I uh, have an education. I'm grateful for the things that I've learned through books and through lectures and through podcasts even. I'm grateful for uh, technology most of the time. I'm grateful that I'm mentally healthy, I think. (laughs) And of course, I'm grateful for my family and for my friends and for this incredible um, authentic community that that I'm a part of. There's a lot to be grateful for in my modern world. But sitting at the center of all of this is the fact that I've based my entire life 
on an ancient Jewish man named Jesus and this event in history known as the resurrection. And, you know, coming from my modern mindset, I don't know about you, but coming from my modern mindset, I was, I was like trying to think through how do we present the resurrection? Of course, there's so many ways to present this, this centrality of history right there in this event. But, you know, my impulse was to sort of gather us to weigh the, the mounds of historical evidence for the resurrection and for this man named Jesus. Um, there's a lot of historical evidence. And so I was like, okay, maybe we can go through this. This is, we're thinking people, this would be awesome. You know, even the most uh, skeptical scholars can't work their way around the historical authenticity of this event known as the resurrection. But as I was thinking, I, I was like, what is, what is the most compelling thing about the resurrection though? And so I was like thinking about that. And I think even more compelling than the historical evidence is the way that it has, a way, it has a way of transcending the mind and going right into the human heart and begins to answer our deepest longings that we have, that our, that our soul has. Easter, you know, it actually represents a very interesting contrast. Um, some of you guys are here today and, and you're just kind of passing through, right? And maybe it's important for you to, to show face for one reason or another. Maybe it's for someone else. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's for God. Um, and you're, uh, but this isn't necessarily a party that you're like trying to get particularly comfortable at, right? And you're, maybe you're looking at me and you're just like, yeah, you seem really nice, but I don't really care how nice you are. <laughs> and uh, I don't really care about your locally roasted uh, coffee from summer mood. And uh, I don't really care. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is your, your position. It's like, I, I appreciate this. Your sermon seems cute, but I don't really actually care that much, right? And if, you're, if you feel this way or resonate a little bit with that, I just want to say you're really welcome here. You're really welcome here. And I actually really know that position that you're coming in. It was part of my story, funny enough, even though I'm a pastor. That mentality marks my life and my history. And so if you feel that way, you just, you're welcome here today and you're welcome here any other day. And then there's others in the room who've had a real encounter with the person of Jesus and the reality of the resurrection. And you've seen how this, this reality has interacted with your own life and it's actually brought change to your life. You're starting to see how it's actually restoring you from the inside out and it continues to restore you as life goes on. And so if you're here today, maybe you're here today and your heart is pulsating with, with a sense of gratitude and with a sense of joy. And if that's you, I just wanna say happy Easter. Jesus is risen. You know, the resurrection changes things. Yeah. On, our, on your seat, as I mentioned, there's that, um, that before and after, basically. It's, I was blank and I'm now blank. And I want you to just, over the course of this message and the, and the worship, we're gonna have some time to respond and worship. And I would love for us to just think about that. And sometimes I think if, if <laughs> I'd be like, okay, that's, that's a nice idea, but okay, you know, Maybe not, but I want you to opt in because there is something significant that happens when we start to reflect on that stuff and even more so when we proclaim it. And so I just want to like preface that, forecast that. And maybe you are, you're hoping for breakthrough and you're here and you're just hurting and maybe you're just like riddled with, with doubt or you're numb, I don't, I don't know, and you, but you still want breakthrough. I would encourage you to think about that too and then write that down um, in faith 
that this is what I'd love to see happen. So no matter where you are, though, no matter where we are on this contrast that I'm talking about, this continuum, I believe that there's something in the human heart that longs for the restoration of the resurrection. When we start to confront Jesus, when we start to see him with our spirit and with our mind and with our heart, something happens. There's something in the human heart that longs for hope. There's something in the human heart that longs for meaning, for meaning to be restored in your life, for the world to be restored, for relationships to be restored, for dreams to be restored. Right? But before before there are bunnies, and, and eggs, and, Easter, and, and pastel colors, and, uh, and $19 brunches, there was this shocking moment in history that changed everything. And it sets a new trajectory for anyone who's willing to, to believe. And so t- today I want to ask this question, does the resurrection answer the longings of the human soul? And if so, how? And so I want to offer you three things as we walk through the book of Mark or at least a few verses from the book of Mark. So turn there, Mark chapter 16. Verse one, this incredible event of the resurrection begins in this chapter from the report of Mark. And he says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, or don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? Go, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Oddly enough, the resurrection starts as a funeral. A few grieving women are carrying the first century equivalent of flowers to a casket, and they're weeping and mourning and grieving, right? And so the resurrection answers our longing because it radically addresses the mystery of death. The first thing I want to highlight is the resurrection answers our longing for life in the midst of the reality of death. How many of you guys know that we're all going to die one day? <laughs> yeah, we're going to die. Okay. Yeah, I'm just bringing you a good, encouraging message today. We're all going to die one day. But I think it's actually good to look, and I joke, I joke around, but I think it's actually good to look these things in the eye. And uh, this passage calls to mind my own grief in my life. Um, so as I mentioned, my, my birthday was this past week, and um, a phenomenon happened in my family. And so uh, I am one of three siblings, and we all have the same birthday, okay? And we're not twins. So I have an older brother. He's 15 years older than me, same birthday. 
and my little sister's same birthday. Um, and so the, the, the tr but tragically, my sister passed away when she was 27. And she was my best friend, and we just did all of life together. And, uh, and so on my birthday, what, and I grew up celebrating my birthday with my sibling, with my sister. But now she's with Jesus. She's passed away. She's with Jesus. And so that, that birthday is like really complex for me. Like trying to celebrate, but I'm holding the tension of like death um, and loss. And so I've wrestled with this reality of death quite a bit in my life with a lot of tears and a lot of mourning. But the resurrection, it speaks right into this reality, right into this longing that I have, like this theodicy. Why does this even happen? It seems so unnatural to my inner person. Why is this taking place? The resurrection speaks right into this. And it looks death right in the eyes and it declares there will be new life. There will be new life. And so these women, Mary and Mary and Salome, are mourning and they're grieving. And they're at the burial site of Jesus. But as we, as we will see, their, their grief quickly turns to the joy of the great victory of God. Amen. And the resurrection of Jesus is not just uh, one single event. This is a biblical promise. In Psalm 126, the psalmist declares, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. In Isaiah 61.3, the prophet says, Jesus has come to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And Jesus says himself, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. The very place of heart-wrenching despair becomes the very place of heart-rendering joy. How is this possible? The resurrection. The resurrection answers the longing of our heart because it declares that God's love outlives death. And this is what water baptism is all about, right? It symbolizes death going into the water, dying with Christ, and then coming out of the water, coming alive and resurrecting to new life. Baptism is both a funeral and a new birth. The second thing that the resurrection answers is our longing for belonging. It's got a nice ring to it. Our longing for belonging. From, from the Gospels, we'll see that the first person to encounter the resurrection was who? Mary. And, and she's a woman, right? So the very first person to encounter the resurrection was a woman. And so in the first century, many, some of you guys might know, in the first century, of course, you can imagine, the, the status of women during the first century in a lot of history, but it's particularly for our purposes today, I want to highlight that the status of women was really low. And they couldn't, they, like, for example, they couldn't give full testimony in court. They were wildly marginalized, terrible. And so if you read the story of Mary Magdalene, the first in the list, you'll, you'll know that she had seven demons casted out of her previously in her life. And so in another gospel, uh, the gospel of John, Jesus actually shows up to Mary Magdalene <laughs> in the middle of her, in her, her distraught state. And he, he visits her, and she's the first person to see and experience the risen Christ. And so who was the first person to be included in the resurrection story? Oh, yeah, 
You know Mary Magdalene, the one who had all the, the demons taken out of her? Yeah, she knows all about it. Like, why is Jesus making his first appearance to someone with no social standing, who's been marginalized, who has no social power? Well, here's why. Jesus is sending a message to us. The resurrection is not for the strong or the moral or the people with good standing in society necessarily. The resurrection is for the outcasts and for people who don't feel like they're good enough, which I can relate to. The kingdom of God is not for good people or strong people. The kingdom of God is for humble people. This is what the resurrection story tells us. This is a picture of radical belonging. Radical belonging. The third thing that the resurrection answers is our longing for hope in a future. Longing for hope in a future. Jesus restores hope in a future to people. From Mark chapter 16, verse 7, I can't help but notice this passage, right? this, this one verse. Go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. How many of you guys know that faith can be kind of confusing sometimes? Right? It's just confusing sometimes. There's events in our life that happen that can really shake us to the core. And we get this sense of, I don't know, maybe not just this inability to trust. Like this, the mechanisms of trust in our own soul are sort of like hijacked. It's hard to trust again. And then we can experience this profound sense of lostness. This, it's like a floating feeling, and I felt it too, this floating feeling of lostness, and meaninglessness maybe, hopelessness. It's in our lives, it's in our hearts, and we can't always identify it exactly, but it happens all the time. It's actually one of the hallmarks of our generation. Right? And so that happens through whether you're a teenager in high school or you're a blue-collared worker or you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a business owner or executive in business. There's this sense we can probably all relate to. Is this all there is? And I know I've, I've felt that too. And so I'm pretty, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that the disciples and Peter are feeling this way as well. Just picture this. Like Jesus, their Messiah, with all of their preconceived dreams and expectations for Israel and for their own relationship with Jesus sort of shatters on the cross. There he is, like, dying and bleeding to death, full of shame. The one who, all of, all of the, their dreams were in this man, and he's been crucified by the Romans, crushed. Hope seemed lost. And you know, something that I find so tender about the person and so compelling about the person of Jesus is what he did between his resurrection and his ascension. This is a period in, in the church, there's a period in the church calendar called Eastertide. You guys heard of it? Um, many of you guys have. The Eastertide, so this is a 40 days. It starts today, tomorrow, and goes for 40 days. And what happened was Jesus came after, you know, he's resurrected and he's, he's among the disciples, and he's on earth, and he has a limited amount of time and capacity to establish his kingdom on earth before he goes back to heaven and leaves his disciples to embody and to assemble the church that's supposed to last forever. No pressure. And so if you, if you were Jesus, let me ask you this. If you were Jesus and you just conquered sin, Satan, death, and hell, and you were coming back from the dead... <laughs> and the Romans had just crucified you, and the Greeks were despising the Jewish people, 
What would you do with your power and your glory? What would you do? <laughs> My take would be uh, take a quick trip to Rome, say what's up to Caesar. <laughs> Caesar, yeah, you say you're the Lord. You're not the Lord. I am. <laughs> Maybe a quick trip to Pilate. It's like, just show up to, bro. <laughs> bro. <laughs> right? Maybe, uh, maybe go to Mars Hill and just show up to all of the philosophers and be like, yeah, you know the logos that you guys are all arguing about? That's me, <laughs> right? He could have said all that stuff. He could have like debated them and proved them all wrong. He could have changed philosophy forever and like the intellectual paradigm of the world forever. He could have uh, raised up an army. He could have started a total, like he could have started an empire, right? could have done all these things, but that's not what he, what he did. What did he do? He spent 40 days finding his friends. He spent 40 days finding his friends who were confused and hopeless and who had wandered from their faith, and he restored them. In Mark 16, as I mentioned, Peter is the one singled out. And Peter was, do you guys remember Peter? He was once so confident in his allegiance to, to Jesus like, I will go, I will die with you, Jesus, right? He was just like so valiant and outspoken about it. But when the time came, when that decisive time came, he cowered in denial. And so Peter, you know, like many of us and like myself at times, he couldn't wrap his mind around his calling. There was always something from his past pulling him back. And so when Jesus dies and hope seems lost, what does Peter do? Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> Jesus is dead. I'm going to go fishing. And so what does Jesus do? He goes to Peter and he says, like, Peter, bro, enough with the fish. <laughs> like, enough with the fish. You're a shepherd. Say it after me. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. Sheep, not fish, Peter. <laughs> and when this happens, like, I just love, I love the heart of Jesus. He just goes and pursues Peter and all of his confusion and all of his denial. And what we see later in Peter's life, what does Peter say? As a shepherd, uh, as a fellow shepherd with you in 1 Peter, Jesus changes his heart. He restores his heart and he infuses it with hope. And then he gives him his future back. I'm going to call up uh, my team and move to a close here. You know, um, some of you guys know my story. Many of you guys know, but I grew up in a, a Christian home, and I'm so grateful for that um, foundation. But when I was in college, I started to wander from my faith, stop going to church, stop reading the Bible, stop praying, and um, found myself sort of like spiraling, um, like tail spinning, and wandering from the one who I knew loved me, but I didn't want anything to do with him at that time. And I was pursuing a lot of things. Like I, this void in my heart started to swell up. It's kind of funny how that happens. And there was this like deep void in my heart and I started to chase a lot of things to fill it. Um, whether it was like an ethos and philosophy or like certain thought processes, a certain, a certain worldview. Um, it was also pleasure and just like escapism. And I found myself um, in, that, in that place. Um, and I was like, 
really passionate about school at one point, but then I started to uh, experience a lot of depression and dropped out of college. And I remember just being lost for like years. Um, Matt knew me back then. He's visiting from Atlanta. And I was like coming back uh, when I met you, I was coming back to the faith. But I remember this, I remember just like one day waking up and going on my porch and just like full of like just the weightiness of a lack of relationship with God and just like feeling numb in my heart and feeling distant from myself even. And I remember just like asking, I remember just going like, God, I don't even really know how to pray anymore, but I miss you. And would you come back into my life? (laughs) And uh, later, um, I remember these two guys came in my workplace and they're like, hey, we're, we're from this church plant. And uh, we'd love for you to come. And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but then they kept being my friend and kept being so kind to all of my rejections. And I remember just being like, all right, fine, I'm going to go. And I remember going to this church, this small church. Nothing special about it. It wasn't showy or fancy. And I remember just like, being like, here I am in all of my shame and all of my lostness. See, I feel death near. Like I'm just full of shame. And I remember just like, kind of praying and like being in worship and the grace of God that I still so desperately need today even, you know, but like then too, the grace of God just like washing over me with the presence of the Holy Spirit, like just cleansing me of all of my shame and all of my fear and just being like, what is happening? That's what Jesus does though. And that's what the resurrection does. And so what I've, what I've, what I'm so grateful for is that in the same way that Jesus pursued Peter and Mary, he pursued me, not to condemn me, not to condemn them, but to restore, to restore their hearts, to restore my heart. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And we need it every day. I need it every day. Jesus wants to give you your future back and all the fullness, your family, your kids, your relationships, your work. He wants to trade all of our disappointment and recalibrated doubt for faith and for hope and for dreams. Jesus says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I would love for us to move into a place of prayer and worship and response right now. Sometimes it's easy to just sort of like have our thinking caps on to like sort of be intellectual about stuff like this. But I would love for us to just respond with our spirit in this place. And so if you're willing, maybe you could just put your hands like this as a posture of receiving. Or if you're comfortable, you can put your hand on your heart just to experience where the soul is not just like this abstract entity. It's all of us and includes our body and our mind, our thoughts, our hearts, our story. And so just maybe close your eyes and look at Jesus with your mind's eye. See him on the cross. 
See him in the grave. See him walking out of the grave. You know, Jesus is alive. He's victorious over the death and he's seeking after you. And he wants to know you more. <clears throat> and if you want more of him as well, whether you've been a Christian for a thousand years or you're just thinking about it, would you just turn your heart towards him afresh? As I do too, I'm just turning my heart back to you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all of the freedom of this world. We thank you for this, for this country. We thank you for this, this, this state. We thank you for the Spicewood and for this building and all of the advantages and, and gifts that we have, the blessings that we have, and we glorify you. But Lord, beyond all of the confines of these things, we just want more of you in, in relationship. And so would you teach us how with your kindness, just like you did with, with Peter and Mary and myself and so many others in this room, would you woo our hearts? Would you transcend our mind and go into our hearts, God, where true relationship gives birth? Would you reveal yourself? And so if you sense him pursuing you, I want you to respond to him today. Just do something extraordinary, whether that's just to actually pray to him, whether it's to raise your hands, we're also gonna have an opportunity to actually respond in a more intentional way in a minute. But let's just look at Jesus and let's worship together in this place. Would you guys stand with me? The next portion of our, of our service is gonna be worship. And I wanna invite you, if you want a little bit more of, of the light of heaven, just be willing in your heart to take a step forward. Just take a step forward deeper into the kingdom right now deeper in faith of the power of the resurrection. So let's, let's glorify the slain lamb, Jesus, as a church family together.